Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. Today on the show, we're going to get into some starting quarterback battles as they begin to clear up a little bit in the SEC. Miles Brennan has stepped away from LSU, so it's now a two-man race in Baton Rouge. We will talk about that quarterback competition and others, but first... There's an interesting spat in the SEC last week. John Calipari and Mark Stoops exchanging barbs over whether Kentucky is a basketball school or a football school, which is just frankly a ridiculous debate. But that got us wondering who has the best claim in the SEC to being an everything school. So, John, welcome in. First off, what do you think about this back and forth between Calipari and Stoops over whether Kentucky, of all places, is a basketball school or a football school? Well, to me, it's uh, it shows how feisty Mark Stoops is to take on Kentucky basketball, and that's really what he was doing. He was defending his own program, but um, that's – not many Kentucky football coaches would do that. They would say something like, well, yeah, uh, you know, Coach Calipari has a great basketball program here at Kentucky, and we hope to reach those heights one day in football. But we're certainly not close to that now. Um, I think it was interesting that Calipari would even say that. I mean, that shows – it, it just shows a lack of uh, – I don't know, compassion for your fellow coaches. I mean, everybody knows it's a basketball school, but why do you have to beat somebody over the head with it? And that reflects poorly on the football school, which is making progress. It makes me wonder if Calipari's starting to feel a little insecure there. Well, and maybe he should. He was facing a lot of heat after that first round exit to St. Peter's this year. Now, in terms of contract and protections and all that, Calipari is pretty safe there, but uh, in terms of fan satisfaction, it's not real high in Kentucky right now after getting upset by 15th seeded St. Peter's. But, you know, it was interesting because I don't know if Cal was really intending to take a shot at the football program. He was campaigning for a new practice facility, which, you know, there could be a whole side debate about whether that's needed or not. But, you know, in comments to the athletic, he said, quote, this is a basketball school. It's always been that. Alabama's a football school. So is Georgia. No disrespect to our football team. I hope they win 10 games and go to bull, go to bowls, but this is a basketball school. And, and he's saying all this while he's campaigning for a practice facility. So I don't think Cal went into this thinking, well, I'm going to take a shot at our, at our football program. His point is, hey, this is a basketball school. I should get whatever I want facilities-wise. However, it suffered from really bad timing. Uh, because, like I said, the state of, of fan satisfaction around that program is not particularly high because of what happened in the NCAA tournament. But I thought Stoops, I mean, he kind of embarrassed himself with this to me. At the end of the day, you know, Kentucky football has finished five seasons ranked in the top 25 since Bear Bryant left after the 1953 season. Five times in the in the top 25 and like, what is that, like seven decades? Mark Stoops has finished in the top 25 two times. 
in the last nine years, which by Kentucky standards is pretty good. Coming off a 10-win season, won the Citrus Bowl. But how many other schools in the SEC could you finish in the top 25 two times in nine years and be a celebrated coach there? I mean, that that right there is proof that, I mean, come on, Mark Stoops, this isn't a this isn't a football school. You win 10 games in a Citrus Bowl and the basketball version of that, and they're ready to run you out of town. You win 10 games in a Citrus Bowl in Kentucky football, and you're ready to commission a statue of yourself. It's uh, You can't have it both ways. You can have success at a, at a basketball school as a football coach and be happy with that. You don't get the pressure that the basketball coach does at Kentucky. It's just like the opposite effect if you go to Alabama. Nate Oates doesn't have the pressure on him that Nick Saban does. Well, maybe that's not a good example because Nick Saban has no pressure on him. <laughs> he wins all the time, but that's what you that's what's required. I think it was I don't know what improvements facility wise that that football has received at Kentucky. But I wonder if that was a way Calipari was saying, hey, let's don't funnel this money over here to football. Hey, and I I think the world of football programs, I hope they go to a bowl and win 10 games. That's that's a nice little football program, and we're proud of them. But he's not talking about, I hope they win a championship. So he's making, he's drawing a line there and say, what's good for them wouldn't be good for us. And if you have any, you have any extra money lying around here in the complex, uh, drop by my office and we'll talk. That's interesting, John. I wrote about this this week. Is a coach who's really comfortable in his own skin of being like the a really good coach of the number two program at his schools, Rick Barnes. You know, it's like I think Stoops should just take the Rick Barnes approach of, hey, I'm succeeding here. I don't have as much pressure as my counterpart and, and, you know, whatever the main sport is at, at my school, just going to enjoy the good times, win a bunch of games, but there's not a, pr- not the pressure to win a national championship. I mean, you look at where Barnes is coached. He's coached at Clemson. He's coached at Texas. He's coached at Tennessee. Like it's actually kind of genius. And I'm not saying Rick Barnes planned it that way. And he's been a really good coach for a long time, but Rick Barnes does not do his best work in March madness. He actually has a losing record overall in the NCAA tournament, but you know, overall performance, he's a good coach, but he can go out there, lose in like the second round of the NCAA tournament, win 20 to 25 games. And everybody's happy because he's coaching at these schools where football is King. It's kind of genius really. Yeah. And, and he seems very comfortable with that. Yeah. He's made that work for him. I do think though, Tennessee's a little bit of an exception. There's not the, the as wide a gap at Tennessee in football and basketball as it is both as it is at most sec programs uh more is expected at tennessee you look at the crowd you look at the size of the arena you look at the emotional investment by fans so he gets he gets a lot of fan criticism for faltering in the ncaa tournament here then maybe wouldn't it i don't know Ole miss <laughs> uh so i i yeah you're right though i mean that's a nice model for for Stoops, but I don't think he's built that way. As I said, I think he's pretty feisty and he just doesn't want to, he likes not having the pressure. And it's pretty nice. As you pointed out, when you can get the results he's gotten at a lot of sec schools, that wouldn't fly, but at Kentucky it works and he has improved the program. 
So you could say, well, just let it go. But I think he's, I think he's feeling pretty confident right now. I really do. I think you think, you know, we just might win the East one year at that kind of thinking. I, I don't think he's content. That's a good sign for Kentucky football to me that Stoops is not content to maybe go to a bowl game, win eight, nine, ten games, go to a bowl. He'd like to win the division every now and then. Yeah, so, it would be really it'd be really foolish for Mark Stoops to pound his chest uh on on the verge of like a five win season. So if he's confident enough to to take on Calipari uh on the on the Twitter sphere, maybe that tells me that he thinks he does in fact have another top twenty five team on his hands. Maybe he does have the second best team in the East behind Georgia. Maybe he's just feeling really confident going this season and say, Hey, sit back and watch this, Cal, because I'm going about ready to post 11 wins this year and blow that 10-win season out of the water. You know how coaches, you read between the lines with coaches. When they're sounding confident, and it, it may be in a subtle way that it comes across, like we just mentioned, you don't think people would not respond to, to Stoops' comments and say, oh, he thinks he's going to have a really good team this year. But that kind of factors into it with coaches. Like, yeah, I'm not afraid to take on Cal right now. He just I, lost to St. Peter's in the first round, and I'm getting ready to win a bunch of games again. Yeah, there's no St. Peter's on Kentucky's schedule. They're not in the MAC. <laughs> Great point. Let's get into the, the debate of a best everything school in the SEC because you started to see some some athletics directors and coaches around the league kind of get a little jab in here with Calipari and Stoops going back and forth and saying, hey, we're an everything school. We don't have to be a football school or a basketball school. We're an everything school. Well, I mean, that's sort of a marketing phrase, but you really need to unpack it before it means much. So what do you think? Who would you size up and say, you know what, all told, top to bottom, maybe with, you know, you, ha- you have to take the big sp- the big dog sports, football, basketball, some others like that into account for sure. But across the board, who has the best everything school in the SEC? It's kind of hard to say because it can change so much. But I, I do I do think you need to include baseball in that because baseball has become so prominent in the SEC. Uh, I like what Tennessee is doing. I mean, Tennessee's predicted it. They're on the fringe of the top 25 preseason poll in football. Everybody's kind of excited about what Josh Heupel could do in year two because he made improvements in year one. Granted, he was following an extremely low bar uh, in Jeremy Pruitt. But you look at Tennessee right now, uh, its women's basketball team is a considered a Final Four possibility. In some early, early polls, I've seen Tennessee fourth. Uh, Kelly Harper's done a nice job with transfers there. I look at uh, baseball. Tennessee had one of the greatest baseball teams ever in the regular season. Didn't win the Super Regional and missed out on the World Series. However, it's going, despite all its losses, it's going to be really good again next season. And so you got uh, Rick Barnes will have another. He's recruiting well. He'll have another top 25 teams. So to me, those could be all four top 25 teams. That's pretty strong. Also, I think LSU might be headed in that direction. It hired Kim Mulkey, a big-time coach in women's basketball. Baseball, 
they are recruiting lights out, and some people think they're either Tennessee or LSU will be number one going into next season in baseball. Basketball, mass exodus, so they kind of drop off there. Uh, but football with Brian Kelly, LSU is certainly spending the money and hiring the right people to have great success. Those are the top two programs that that come to mind when I think about it. I'm glad you went in that direction, John, because I'm going all in in another direction. To me, it's it's no question. It's it's a runaway debate. It's the Florida Gators. I think for years, uh, Florida has had the most robust Olympic sports, as they call them, in the SEC. Florida is typically very strong in the diamond sports of baseball and softball. But you can really run down the line. Florida's always good in swimming and diving. Uh, They're good in gymnastics. They're good in volleyball and women's soccer, even lacrosse. I mean, there's really not a sport where you typically go into a season and think, eh, Florida will finish in the bottom half of the standings there. And then you throw in football and and basketball. Football's had three national championships from um, combined from Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer. Had a couple national championships in basketball uh, from Billy Donovan. They're not coming off their their strongest year, I guess, in the the all sports situation. And you saw Tennessee win the all sports SEC award from the USA Today Network, which I actually didn't know exist until recently. But t- Tennessee really celebrated that all sports award. But typically, Florida wins that in, in most years. And the and the coveted Learfield Cup standings, ooh, which we know athletic directors love those. Learfield Cup standings because a high finish in those standings usually means a bonus for your athletic director. But they're standings that take into account how you fare across the board in your athletic department. And typically, for years now, Florida has been the top SEC team in those Learfield Cup standings. They usually finish fifth in the top five nationally of those standings. So I I think you make good arguments for some others. I think Tennessee in particular is, um, you know, there's some of those other sports are, are kind of closing the gap. Men's basketball under Rick Barnes, baseball under Tony Vitello have really elevated. Lady Vols basketball, as you mentioned, under Kelly Harper is getting straightened out. So Tennessee has a better case than, than they used to. But, but I think still, hands down, it's Florida. Well, see, I think we looked at it a little differently. I didn't even consider the Olympic sports, I was just going with the most prominent sports. So you sort of tricked me on that. And also, I think you're looking to body of work over an extended period of time where I'm I'm looking to the future. I see, I see LSU and Tennessee really moving up in things. Tennessee, as you said, Tennessee's already made great advances. And I just see the way LSU is spending money. And LSU has been in, it's had some really high, high finishes in a lot of different sports. If you go back over the last 25 years with track, with gymnastics, you've got a lot of schools in, in the SEC that are, that are good in uh, softball. And when we look ahead, we look ahead as much as you like Florida, make room for Texas because Texas has a great all-sports status right now. I think it won won the award, the Director's Cup in 
2020, was it? And, and, and they won again this year. They won again. Mm-hmm. Did they win this year? I knew they were close. So, yeah. yeah. So, Texas and Oklahoma, once it comes into the league, I mean, it's a dynasty in softball. It's good in baseball, basketball, football, you name it. So, it's going to get even more competitive. Yeah, you make a good point there, John, and I know you've you've written about that in the past of how much attention is on you know what Texas and Oklahoma will bring football wise to the conference, revenue wise to the conference, expanding the footprint, all that type of stuff that you actually talk about in conference expansion, and and those are the types of things that drive conference expansion. But you've made the point in the past that even once you look beyond football, Texas and Oklahoma are going to make the SEC a much stronger conference. I mean, you, you point out Texas that, uh, that Learfield standings that, as I said, athletic directors love to pump up those, uh, those pecking orders there and, and show you where they, they finished. I mean, Texas is, is frequently a top five school in those Learfield directors cup standings. So yeah, fair, fair point there. I think I still like my pick of Florida, but Florida might have a, a battle on its hands for the best overall athletic department once Texas joins. Blake, I want one thing I've noticed with LSU. I graduated from there many years ago, and I never thought of LSU as having this extraordinarily wealthy state, although it helps with the oil industry in the past. But uh, LSU is spending so much money on coaches. When you go out and you hire a Kim Mulkey in basketball, you hire Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame in football, Jay Johnson in baseball. They're really spending the money. And my guess is they must have a robust uh, NIL program as well, based on how they're recruiting in some of these sports. They they got, I think, the top women's basketball player in the next class. Uh, baseball has been striking it rich in the transfer portal. So I don't know where all the money's coming from, but they got it rolling right now. All right, John, let's change gears and get into some quarterback competitions because we have some some updates there throughout the league. And I want to start with LSU, stay right where, where you were discussing, but not discuss their NIL program anymore, but discuss their quarterbacks instead. Uh, we saw Miles Brennan this week announce that he is stepping away from football. He's, he's not going to play this year from for LSU as he pursues a, a new chapter in his life. He was going to be a six-year senior, but that quarterback competition was trending in a different direction, either with the Arizona State transfer Jaden Daniels or the redshirt freshman and Garrett Nussmeyer. So Miles Brennan says, hey, I've, uh, I've given a lot to this program. I'm not going to stick around and be a third-string quarterback this year. So he's out. How does that make you reevaluate, if at all, LSU's competition and and what they might have at quarterback this year. Well, I really thought Miles Brennan going into the preseason, I thought he would be the quarterback. Uh, he has ex- he has some experience. He's got a great arm, but apparently he's dropped off. His plays dropped off, or I, I think he might have won the job. I don't think this is the Miles Brennan we thought of going into the season before he had an, uh, the previous season before he had an injury. So. Now, I guess, you know, your, your Arizona State guy, I would think he's he would win the job. Um, Brian Kelly went out and got and surely encouraged him to transfer there. He likes a running quarterback, and Nussmeyer has more mobility. 
than Brennan did. Nonetheless, that makes me think that uh, Jaden Daniels could win the job. Uh, but, I mean, do you – and I, I just wonder about him. I, I know he's a really good running back, but I've watched him play some, and he's pretty erratic as a passer. His, his passing stats aren't great. I mean, as of last week on this podcast, John – you couldn't even remember whether he played for Arizona State or Arizona. That's how no. impressed you were by his career up to this point. Yeah, and I've combined those schools in my head now. They're just the two same schools. I mean, was, I'd let guys play for both schools if if they wanted. See, you, I look at LSU, probably the best receiving core in the SEC. And so, to me, the passing game could flourish. I don't know how good that offensive line is going to be in run blocking but I think they could hold up against a pass rush. And so to me, you have a, you want a thrower back there. And so and maybe Nussmeier's the guy. I, what it says to me, John, and I don't know if this went into Brian Kelly's thinking, but I think it's logical that it could have. Miles Brennan is not the future. You know, he's been around the program for a long time. He was a starter at the beginning of 2020, but then he had injuries derail him in back-to-back seasons. Came back, looked good in the spring game, but still, he has one year of eligibility remaining. Whereas Jaden Daniels, the transfer comes in, 29-game starter at, at Arizona State, he has two years of eligibility remaining. Then you look at Garrett Nussmeyer, guy who's kind of a bit of a wild card in all this, I felt like last spring, but he he, he impressed the, the staff during, during the spring. He seems to have elevated in that competition. I think everybody likes his arm. If his decision-making gets there, it could be a really good quarterback. He's a redshirt freshman, so he could be the future at this position. Now, I know building for the future doesn't mean as much as it used to in college football because it's not like you got to have like a three- or four-year plan at your quarterback position. If you don't like what you got, you just go to the transfer portal and get somebody else. However, you know, a coach only gets one honeymoon season. Brian Kelly's, after this year, he's always going to be facing more pressure. And that's not to say he doesn't face any pressure this year. But as a first-year coach, he faces less pressure than what he's going to the rest of the time during his tenure. So if there's a time to look past the veteran and take a chance on one of these other guys, either Jaden Daniels, whom he recruited to transfer from Arizona State, or the young guy in Garrett Nussmeyer, I think this is a great time to take a chance on one of those guys, even though you have you know, a veteran with starting experience like Miles Brennan in your program. Yeah, and one thing about Kelly, he has used two quarterbacks before, so that's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I uh, I just I I just thought I guess I thought Miles Brennan would be a better quarterback than he turned out to be, and maybe I was infatuated with his arm uh, when he was uh, Joe Burrow's backup because he could fling it. And uh, you look at Brian Kelly when when Brian Kelly went out. When he brought in Jaden Daniels from Arizona State, I mean that kind of that kind of make you think. Well, he's not sold on what the video he'd watched of these other guys. He wasn't sold on Miles Brennan, uh, and and maybe um, you know maybe he thinks even this year uh, I could see him wanting to be better in the following year. But the way he's gotten transfers, he's not looking too far ahead because he's trying to win right now. 
And uh, maybe he thinks Jaden Daniels is his best his best opportunity for that. Another interesting development we've had here, John, reports out of Auburn. Uh, Brian Harson hasn't definitively said this, but according to multiple reports, T.J. Finley seems to be leading that quarterback competition and not the Texas A&M transfer, Zach Calzada. Brian Harson was very effusive in his praise of T.J. Finley coming out of a scrimmage over the weekend. Finley's the guy that's been in the program. He transferred to Auburn a year ahead of Calzada, transferred to Auburn before last season from LSU. This one surprises me. I, I thought you know, Calzada, while he needed to be a little more consistent than he was last year at A&M, I thought he showed a lot of promise, was excellent in that upset over Alabama, good arm, maybe not as much of a feared runner as TJ Finley is, but Brian Harson, much more of a pro-style type of coach. I thought Calzada was still going to be the guy. What does this tell you? Does this tell you that maybe TJ Finley, too quick to write him off? Or does this tell you this there could be trouble in, in Auburn land if they're going to hand the reins to TJ Finley as their starting quarterback? Well, of, of all your comments, the one that sticks out to me is could be trouble in Auburn land because that's a continuing theme regardless of the quarterback situation. Even if they still had Bo Nix there, uh, there's trouble in Auburn land. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I'm not enamored with either one of those guys. TJ Finley has a really good arm and, uh, so does Calzada. I mean, if you're going to the County fair and want to knock down some milk bottles or whatever, they throw a ball at those guys will tear it, knock a hole in the tent. Calzado got a win against Alabama last year. Uh, and so that sticks out. I mean, that counts for something. And that's why I thought he would win the job. But I do remember the first time I watched TJ Finley, he started a couple of games for LSU because of injuries two years ago. So I thought, man, this guy's got tremendous potential. But that's what you usually say when you see a guy with a big arm. And then my subsequent impressions weren't nearly as favorable. So it's, it's interesting, John, those guys at the county fair that have a howitzer, you know, they, they don't have those county fair competitions. Once the, once the ball kicks off, you know, there's 22 guys flying around out there facing a pass rush, NFL caliber defensive backs. It's not quite the same as just slinging it as hard as you can. It's some old Coke bottles, is it? No, but it does. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I still think fans and coaches, too, and, and media, certainly, we're always impressed with that big arm. When, when the quarterback drills that 25-yard fastball right between two defenders and puts it right, right in and makes that Elway cross in the chest of a receiver, that's always gets our attention. No question about it. And, and those guys get, like, more forgiveness from the media, from even their own coaches, as you say, I think, than the other types of quarterbacks. Like, you know, one of those guys with that huge arm tries to fit it into a tight window and he throws a pick six reaction is like, oh, he he thought he could make that throw. You got to love the confidence. He thinks there's there's no window he can't put it into. And it's like, no, don't don't throw it into traffic and try to split it between three guys. But those those strong arm QBs. Yeah, we are willing to give them the, you know, the longer leash because we just love seeing that that ball whistle down the field, even if it is 
going 10 yards over a wide receiver's head or right into the hands of a defender because, yeah, those those big arms just kind of dazzle us. And we, we sometimes forget, like, well, it's got to end up in the hands of <laughs> your own team or none, none of that really matters, does it? No, that's why the John Elways and Aaron Rodgers of the world achieve greatness because they've got it all. They've got the big arm and they've got a – They've also got a sense of when to throw the, the softer touch pass and they're accurate and all that good stuff and they're mobile. But but you're right, of all the attributes of a quarterback, that seems to resonate with fans and media like very much. I, Calzada, I don't know where he can go next. Did he ever go to – he didn't actually go to Pittsburgh, did he? Didn't he commit to Pittsburgh as a transfer and then change his commitment to Texas A&M? If I got that right, yeah, he committed somewhere else. Before I think I was thinking it was Pittsburgh, and then Pittsburgh got Jackson Dart from USC. It was somewhere where they brought in another transfer, and Zach said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, I don't want any competition now." T.J. Finley, I think I can deal with that. But I really think in this situation that we'll see both of those guys start at some point during the season because I don't think whoever wins that job is just going to. Uh, roll through the season or, or with no no adversity. I think there'll be a lot of adversity in all areas of that program. I think you're probably right. And and one thing this tells me, John, is that maybe sometimes we need to pump the brakes a little bit before we crown the transfer QB, the savior of the program, and automatically QB1. Because you know, if TJ Finley does indeed win the job, you know, he would be a guy that, yes, he's a transfer too, but he's the returner. He's the returning backup. And so Auburn goes out and gets a transfer and we assume, oh, well, he must be the guy. That's that's the guy they want. And and maybe that at LSU, that will be the case with Jaden Daniels. But we've seen other examples where the transfer has been brought in and they haven't won the job. They've been the backup. And even when we've assumed the transfer was going to win it. I mean, you think about JT Daniels last year at Georgia. I think another example is the competition we saw wrap up at, at Missouri. Brady Cook, the returning backup from last year, who became the starter at the end of the season, started in the, the bowl game against Army. He has been named the starter for Missouri, even though Missouri brought in a transfer and Jack Abraham, former backup at Mississippi State, former starter at Southern Miss in 2020. You know, once again, it brought in a, a transfer, and I think it was like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's the guy they want as their starting quarterback. You saw a lot of hype for, for Jack Abraham early in the preseason from some members of the, the media. There was the thought of, oh, this is a veteran guy. He's been around the block. He's he's the the safe choice to take the reins. and. Lo and behold, the guy who wins the job is the former backup who didn't transfer and, and return. So I think you know, as we see some of this, this transfer free agency kind of play out a little bit, I think we're going to find that a lot of times these these coaches aren't necessarily dipping into the transfer market to get a new starting quarterback. They just want to add to their competition because what's the harm in that? What's the risk? If it doesn't work out, that's that's fine. You can go with the guy you already had. Yeah. And I, I want to correct myself because I got my USC transfer quarterbacks confused. I mean, mentioned Jackson Dart going to Pittsburgh. That was Kadon Slovis going to Pittsburgh. Jackson Dart's at Ole Miss. 
which has another quarterback competition. Um, and I'm not con- sure at this point if he'll win the job. It, to your point, you just don't know. Uh, same with LSU. We don't know for sure if Daniels will win the starting job. Yeah, that's another. I mean, you go back to the spring game and, and Luke Altmeyer outplayed Jackson Dart in that game. Now, they had a, a recent scrimmage and uh, Lane Kiffin said neither of those guys played very well. And he pointed to another returner in the program and, and Kincaid Dent, who was the, the third stringer last year and said, you know, he... He, he was the MVP of a, of a recent scrimmage. So maybe that was, uh, you know, just a little fuel to the fire of, of the other two guys in that competition. But I do think Jackson Dart is, 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 as you said, another prime example of a guy that when he transfers into the program, it's like, okay, competition over. Lane Kiffin's got his guy. But no, I think we were a little quick to, to think that. You know, I mean, unless some guy was a superstar at his last place of, Employment, I guess we'll say, even though they're not employees. Caleb Williams. No, I mean, what's in the mystery? Caleb Williams is going to be the starter at, at USC. That one you can you can close close down shop on. But a lot of these competitions, I think we're finding that these coaches are adding transfers, but there's a reason why these guys are are in the transfers, the transfer market. If if everything was hunky dory at where they were, and uh, you know, they were putting together Heisman-type credentials at their last school, usually, not always, but usually, they'd probably just stay put and, and wouldn't be in the, the transfer portal in the first place. So I think we're, we're learning some things here as, as college football's free agency goes along. Well, and I think, too, it, it's so easy to become infatuated with the transfer because that's something new. You're optimistic about that by nature. So all you have to do Let's take Zach, Zach Calzada transfers to Auburn from Texas A&M. You show highlights of the Auburn, I mean, of the Texas A&M Alabama game of last year. And so some big, show some big time. All these guys can put together a nice highlight package. You show Jaden Daniels of Arizona State running wild through a secondary. And you get, or Jackson Dart throwing some nice patches for passes for Southern Cal. All these guys have a highlight package. So it all has started at some point. So that gives fans a lot of hope and maybe too much hope sometimes. John, I want to close by touching briefly on, on the AP poll that came out this week. No real surprises at the top. Alabama's number one, followed by Ohio State, then Georgia, and then Clemson at number four with Notre Dame at number five. And then another SEC team, Texas A&M, sits there at number six. Not, not any real surprises there. So I want to move deeper into the poll. You have Arkansas 19, Kentucky 20, Ole Miss 21, and I'm going to throw in Tennessee. They were the top vote getter, not in the top 25. So let's call them number 26. So between those four teams, Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, which team are you most confident will be ranked in the top 25 at the end of the season? And which team are you most skeptical of finishing in the top 25 of that quartet? My opinion on that has a lot to do with schedule. I think Arkansas might have the best team of that bunch. 
but I really don't like its schedule. A BYU game in the middle of the season on the rows, just like to me, just handing yourself a loss and playing in the SEC West. So I I don't like Arkansas's chances. I don't like Kentucky's chances. Probably Tennessee's for finishing in the top 25. I really think Tennessee could go nine and three. Ole Miss, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss finished in the top 25 either. A lot of good offensive weapons, and Lane Kiffin knows how to use offensive weapons. So, But, again, we could get back to the quarterback competition. The thing about Tennessee, though, it does already have a proven quarterback in Hendon Hooker. So I, I would probably go with Tennessee to the most likely, and um, I guess Arkansas the least likely to finish in the top 25. Ole Miss is, is, is an interesting one because I think there may be a time in this season – where Ole Miss is ranked in the top 15, maybe even knocking on the door of the top 10 of the polls. But I'm not, I don't feel good about Ole Miss finishing in the top 25 when all is said and done. Not, I, I think Ole Miss will make a bowl game, but their schedule is set up in a way to which Ole Miss could start the year 7 and 0 going into a game against LSU. At that point, I think they could be in the top 10 of the rankings. However, then it gets really tough for Ole Miss. They play LSU on the road, on the road at Texas A&M. Then they have Alabama on the road at Arkansas. And then they close, of course, with the Egg Bowl. I mean, I, I consider all five of those games really no better than a toss-up. And and you could see all five going in the other direction, conceivably. <laughs> so, and, 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 you know, voters... They don't always take like the whole body of work in mind. They, they're not necessarily going to say, "Oh, hey, this team started at seven and zero before finishing seven and five. It's it's really you know polls are much much of a "What have you done for me lately?" type of rankings deal. So I could see a scenario where you know we're all saying like, "Why is Ole Miss in this free fall after a top ten climb to the rankings?" And it's like, no, the schedule just sets up really easy for them at the beginning, and then all the toughest games are back loaded. So I think it's you know, it's plausible Ole Miss could finish like seven and five going into a bowl game, uh, but be in the top ten in the rankings at one juncture of the season based on the way their their schedule unfolds. Ole Miss probably won't win all seven of those games, and I don't think they'll lose all all five of the last games. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that's that's a challenge for Ole Miss, and I guess uh, my take on Kentucky again is I just think. Kentucky's a little overrated. It does have a favorable schedule, though. Um, but, and going back to Mark Stoops' comments about Calipari, back to the top of the show, maybe he's really confident that this is going to be his best team. Maybe Kentucky, John, is just like a scheduling school. Maybe we need to end this debate about whether football school, basketball school, which, again, is just a ridiculous debate. But maybe Kentucky really is is the master's of the schedule because Cal, you know, he, he was the one that, that caused the ending of, of the annual game against Indiana, right? He didn't want to, he didn't want to play road games against Indiana anymore. So that, that home and home series had died between Kentucky, Indiana, and he got a, got a potential lost Indiana there off the schedule. And then you look at what, uh, what Kentucky football does, as you said, they play as many schools in the MAC as they possibly can. They're almost like an um, an adjunct member of the MAC, really, sort of like Notre Dame is with 
with the ACC? Is it like, are they in or are they out? It's like with Kentucky football. Are they in the MAC or are they in the SEC? So maybe it's a <laughs> scheduling school. I would like to see if we could just for one season, for experimental purposes, move Arkansas to the east and give it, can let it replace, switch Arkansas and Kentucky and let Arkansas have that schedule. Might finish about 11 and one. Yeah, Chad Morris, who got fired in two years at Arkansas, might have the reputation of Mark Stoops right now. You switch those those programs, and they'd be uh, they'd be sending the plans out to get the statue going of Chad Morris there in Fayetteville. But it's a great point. Like, I mean, look, I feel like I'm ragging a little hard on Mark Stoops. He's done a very fine job at Kentucky. He's done he's been their best coach since Bear Bryant, hands down. But the way he's done it there, with some clever scheduling and and rising in a weakening east you're right flip them over to the the west and flip arkansas over to the east and probably singing a different tune right now and mark stoops probably wouldn't be coaching at kentucky right now well just you've got four non-conference games you should win and then you play vandy and missouri and missouri's really dropped i i see missouri as a surefire number number six in the east as as sure as I am about Vanderbilt finishing last. So to me, you you start off, you pretty much got six wins. You can split split the other six. You got nine wins, get your 10 in, uh, in the bowl game and take that, John Calipari. Good luck against St. Peter's in the first round next year. Genius maneuvering by Mark Stoops, maybe. Maybe that's what this all comes back to. All right, John. We'll leave the discussion there. We'll pick it up next week. And in the meantime, we'll see if any uh, two coaches will come to Twitter blows again. We're going to stay away from that area, though. Nothing but love between you and I. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.